Well, hello there, and welcome back to My Lifeline is Rose. So, in today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you a poem called Years in a Dozen that I wrote in inspiration as, yay, I'm recording this on the 1st of July, the 12th 12th year anniversary of me living in the UK, me and my family. We moved here on exactly the 1st of July from South Africa to the UK, and it's been 12 years, and that's most of my life. Like, I I was seven years old when we moved to the UK. I am now 19 years old. I know, I'm young. I haven't had a long, long life, but it has been a journey. I've moved around a lot and I've had to start a new in a new city and make new friends and now I'm at a point where I'm an adult and so yes I still live with my parents but then I also have my own experience of moving out for university and so I wrote this poem in an in inspiration because of my because of the anniversary of of being in the UK for so long but also this question I've had on and off throughout my life about what home is. So here is my poem, Years in a Dozen. Years in a Dozen. Twelve years in the new world, a portion of the rest of my life. Will I ever go back home? Well, I should think not. What is the philosophy of home anyway? A place where my hat, pillow, and heart lay? While I lost my hat in the city of the bee, my pillow traverses the world with me and my heart? What does that even mean? The philosophy of home and love are strange to me. I try to love so many, including me, and I do, mostly. But it doesn't always feel like home to me. So let's look back. Five years in my own bubble, spinning and singing like the pop star I thought I was meant to be. Sleepy but content was the main key. If not a little bored, like all of the time, you see. But the bubble was deflating and soon I got a taste of suffocation, a common theme you might see. Crying over nothing seemingly, unconsciously realizing what being me was really meant to be, and consciously assuming what being me meant to them. With a dunk and a splash, the next portion of six years began. Summer in the new city. City with more heartbreaking history and beauty. Walls that welcome everybody in, but so easily feel adversary. The true adversary lies in the rushing currents of the foil. An enemy as old as time. A siren calling out to so many. A line of division weakened by three bridges. The old, the new, and the peace. Partner this with the toils of being a teenager, and the quest for life truly begins. Though often the climb over hills and the fall into valleys represented the decision between finishing the journey early or to keep going. And now I'm here. My heart split across three places, places known as home for just under a year. It combats the idea that home is where you grew up, or that home is the place you own, or where your family is, because they are everywhere. Because every home is where you can grow, and family can be chosen, and family can expand, and so I'll make a home wherever I can, and put my heart into it. And I won't go back to where my heart never was, or where my purpose never lied, but go forward to where my heart can, and where my purpose will find. Just because I don't get it doesn't mean I'm not home. Here's to another year and a dozen, and many more.
So that was my poem, Years in a Dozen. I wrote that poem exactly on the 1st of July, 2020, as a, not evaluation, as a, mm, not a celebration. Hmm, why did I write this poem? I wrote it to look back on what it's like, what it's been like living in the UK and what it's been like moving. And I touch on this idea of the philosophy of home, because for me, moving has been both a blessing and a curse in many different ways. But I also feel like, like for personally, I feel like moving has almost skewed my idea of what home is. Because when I think of the stereotypical idea of what home is to people, I think about it's the family house that I've lived in my whole life. It's been uh, where my family lives. It's where I was born, even if I don't live there anymore. Or it's where my hat is uh, as a metaphor. And my, me personally, I've used this thing. As long as I have a, a pillow and a blanket, then I'm at home. Because as long as I can sleep somewhere be comfortable in a sense whether it's on the couch on the floor or on a bed then then that sense of rest is what I would consider home but I've also think that I've done that because no matter I'm, I've had to adapt to being in different places at different times and just get used to where I am and not let it affect me a lot um, but I also don't know if that really is what home is but I also want to see I think home can be that philosophy that is different for everyone. So honestly, if you have your own theory of what home is to you, or if you think something I've said is strange or fascinating, or you relate to something I've said about the philosophy of home um, and the things that I touch in, in in this podcast, please let me know. Reach out, send me a message, interact in the comment uh, section. Um, You can reach me on Instagram and WordPress. Uh, at my lifeline rose and just a social media plug there um i think that it's just almost important to share uh our differences in what we think about life and home and growing up and seeing like because it's 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 nice to feel something relatable to someone but it's also nice to know something different that you've never experienced before because you can take learning experiences from word of mouth as well as in person and and that's why I feel like I should share what it's what the journey has been like because there's a reason why I've moved to the UK and 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 my journey in the UK has basically been my journey of growing up because I'm still growing and I'm still growing up but I can easily split the section of my first six years living here to the next five years of living here and now I'm in this new section uh, of this under a year I've been living in a new place and it's been all over the place and it's and and it's and it's and it's fascinating to see how those influences have played a part in my life um uh, but also how maybe they transcribe to other people's experiences in their life or how they don't so if you would like to know more about this poem more about my life even though i know i'm just a random person that you're listening to on the internet um please stick around So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I'm originally from South Africa. I lived there for seven years and we moved within that space. So I don't really remember. I was a baby. Why would I know exactly where I lived there? But also we moved within the UK quite a few times. And the reason why we moved so much was because of my dad's job. I'm going to use this word. It was basically an occupational hazard with being 
in my dad's job to get moved around a lot. So my dad is a minister of religion in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, and you don't know where your ministry is going to take you, especially in our church. And you could get moved around within your district, moved around within your country, or moved around w globally because it is a because our church is a global church. And I, and and so so and that's that's just like if you're a person in a pastor's family, that's just an occupation that comes with being part of that kind of family. It's an occupational hazard of that job. But it, I have to say it. I've said that I said this earlier. It it is both a blessing and a curse to have moved around, uh, because of my dad's job. Um. So, so actually, my parents originally got a call to come minister in Northern Ireland in Derry, London, Derry, when in about in two thousands or yeah, definitely two thousand. It's not two thousand one if I do the math correctly. Yeah, it would have been in two thousands, uh, and they were considering it. They were having discussion about it. They were like, "Would I move to the UK? It's cold there. It's so far away from family." And then my mom found out that she was pregnant with me, baby me. Um, and that's why I say 2000, because I was born in 2001, and I was born in February. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Math, I'm not good at it, but I got it right this time. Um, that's besides the point. I digress. So she found out she was pregnant with me, and they both decided, okay, let's raise Andre in the UK. Um, not in the UK, what am I saying? In South Africa, uh, around her family, around her grandparents, uh, in our place of home, so that she can understand... Um, our history and where we come from. Um, I am ad-libbing. I don't actually know how their conversation went, except that they told me that that's how, why they decided to stay in the UK. In Oh, I keep saying the UK. They decided to stay in South Africa so that I knew where my roots, where my family roots were. And so I believe we moved even within the first three months of my birth. Uh, my dad's job got him transferred somewhere within South Africa. and But I honestly don't remember that. But when I was four years old, and this is where I think my memory started ha like started working, and my memory is not good. But that's when my memory started working, because I remember moving to a place in Somerset West, which is in Cape Town. And this is where our church has a university and a high school and a primary school. So we lived on an enclosed campus where my dad worked as boys dormitory dean, because being a pastor doesn't just mean you're going to be a minister. You can also work within the offices or you can work within our schools as a teacher, blah, blah, blah. And so my dad was a dean. Um, and we lived there for three years until I was about seven years old. And that's when I matriculated out of preschool into primary school. And in South Africa, you start primary school around the age of seven and you start the school year in January. So I was about six months in, um, six months in formal primary education when, when my parent, when my dad got another call, uh, to minister in the UK again, and again in Northern Ireland. Uh, he got, he got a call to minister in a place called Bambridge. Um, and so my dad went over for an interview and he went over to see what the place was like and he discussed it with my mom. I was seven. I didn't really, like, I understood what was happening, but I was like, huh? We're moving where? I didn't understand the world at that time. Um, and so, and, and he accepted the job. And so that year 
we moved to, this was 2008, we moved to Northern Ireland, which is where my poem basically begins. Um, uh, this was basically the beginning of my true understanding of what it means to be a pastor's kid, because before I moved to uh, Cape Town, I didn't realize just how how moving would be a play in my in my life all the time. I had made my friends in Cape Town, and I and I had a friend from originally from China and another friend originally from Switzerland or Italy. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And we were our own little diverse group on our campus, and we would run around and and play games and probably be too bossy at each other. I think I was a little bit of a bossy child before I realized that I prefer being a follower and not a leader. <laughs> um, but that was that was definitely the true the time that I discovered I was started to discover what it means to be a pastor's kid. Because that's what we call people who are children of ministers. You call them pastor's kids. <laughs> PK for short. Um so I'm going to hop right into the poem. I'm going to start, probably maybe go through line for line. I think that would be an interesting way to almost dissect and really evaluate what I was trying to say. I mean, of course, I want you to interpret the poem for yourself. I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rule the interpretation of the poem. I just want to talk about the inspiration behind some of it and what I actually interpret out of my words because sometimes I don't always know what I'm gonna say and then it comes out and I'm like huh this could mean this or it could mean that but I think it means this but you can mean it you you could think it means that so my poem starts with 12 years in the new world and so this is me talking about when I was younger coming to the UK was like coming into a new world I remember the day we arrived in in uh in Northern Ireland uh well we actually we took a, it was, I remember exaggerating this. I don't actually know if this is true, but I, I remember feeling like the plane was 24 hours. And so obviously when you're on a long plane ride, whether it's 12 hours or 24 hours, um, you get to watch free movies and listen to music and get a little free headset. And I remember on my seat, I had a, I had a packet, like a welcome packet that basically had a South African magnet that was a puzzle. So you, put the magnet pieces together and it, and it, and I think it created like a map and it came with a pillow and it came with an eye mask and I was like oh I am so fancy I have an eye mask that helped me sleep did I sleep that whole that that plane flight no I did not I stayed awake that whole time watching out the window watching something on the tv and watching us land and so when we landed in the UK I think it was probably early morning probably 6 a.m. Uh, we landed in London, in one of the big airports, don't remember which one, Gatwick, Heathrow, probably Heathrow, which one's the global one in London, I should probably look that up, I'm not going to, you probably know what airport more than I do, um, uh, and so we landed there, and we had a, an hour wait before we could get onto the plane to Northern Ireland, and so we were, and so once we actually got onto the flight to Northern Ireland, it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> things are changing. Um, and when we arrived in Northern Ireland, we were picked up by my dad's boss at the time. And I remember getting into that car, and they had a big car, I wasn't used to big cars. And we got into that, I got into that car, and I remember sitting in the back seat and looking out the window, and I could just feel sick, because this, like, 
car sickness that I've never felt before and that I still feel to this day every now and then I'm in the car. So when I feel car sick, I don't feel I don't feel like I'm going to throw up, but I feel like I have a really woozy headache and it just overtakes and my eyes feel sore. And it's basically like I get a mini migraine in the back of the car. And so I got so it was kind of unpleasant because now I'm in this new strange car with this new strange smell in a new strange country and I'm looking out the window and the skies are just grey, cloudy, cloudy grey. Um, and I remember my my mom reflects back and she remembers saying, oh my goodness, 12 months in a year Christmas. That is, because in South Africa, you don't have a lot of difference in what Christmas, I mean, okay, across the different cities, you'll have different experiences of what, what winter season is like. But where we lived, winter season was kind of cloudy weather, it was stormy weather, or it was just dry, and and with a, like a breeze. So like, I guess 12 degrees uh, Celsius, or... I mean, yeah, 12 degrees Celsius, I guess, is, like, winter weather, uh, um, normally, um, and so then we moved, and so, and then we realized, my mom realized just how that was the weather, like, all the time in Northern Ireland, and it's not a lie, it's always cloudy, and you can always expect rain, I mean, it's changed, but that's climate change's fault, um, that's besides the point, so when we landed here, that's what she felt about the country, and to reevaluate, it's more like nine months of autumn and then three months of winter, or like autumn and spring and winter, and then summer is like a random two weeks of of a heat wave that is super unpleasant because it's super humid, and I prefer the heat in South Africa because I feel like it's less humid and more dry. It's like screw that. Uh, sorry, was that a swear word? I won't swear. Um. So that was the thing that I remember. I just remember that feeling so detailed and mainly because I still get that kind of car sickness and it always throws me back to that time of little old seven-year-old me looking up and it being kind of rainy and kind of cloudy. But the the image that I have of the town that we moved in is so distinct in my brain as well because it had this really, the main little town, because it was a small, small town in, in Northern Ireland, uh, Banbridge. And, and in that town, you've got this history of a, there's this hill in the middle of it. And in that hill, they basically cut a uh, a like tunnel into it because originally, I remember the history learned this in primary school, was that, because the hill was so steep, the horses would get exhausted and faint, and so they decided to uh, tunnel a road into the middle of that hill so that they could get through it without getting exhausted by the hill to get over to the other side. But all along, obviously now you've, in modern times, you've still got this hill, and I, I don't remember what it's called, but because um, it has a name, um, but all along this front now, you've just got, you've just got little retail shops and and cafes and things just along that side and and I just remember walking through there very vividly and I remember driving through there very vividly um until we reached our new brand new home and my room was pink <laughs> I didn't paint it pink I did not choose to paint my, it was a rented house and the previous owners had a pink room and they had a blue room and I was in the pink room with a pink carpet and so when it was like low light it would kind of glowish pink um, which wasn't an issue with me I like pink uh, I didn't choose it to be that way but I enjoyed it anyway so that was my experience to moving to Banbridge and that was probably a really long-winded story so I hope I have I'm not gonna bore you with this but 
that was the first portion of my life in the new world. And I say this with um, quotation marks, my finger doing the bunny rabbits. Um, because to me, that was like England. This was the new world. England, UK, Northern Ireland, new world, new fascination, new country. Um, uh, so, and I say this in my poem, I go to this thing where I'm going to start talking about the philosophy of what home is to me. And I, I ask, will I ever go back home? Again, with quotation marks. Um, because what is home? What does that mean? Is it South Africa? Is it, is it Bambridge? Or as I, as I go through the story of where I've lived, is it this place, that place, this place? And I honestly don't know. So I, I think when I, when I personally said home, I meant South Africa because I don't know if I will go back to South Africa. I don't really have a full reason to be there. I don't have, um, I, I don't have that same connection that I would have had if I grew up there a little bit longer. I don't have the education. I don't have the social understanding of what it's like to live there. And But I also still have this, I still have this identity of South African on me, but not necessarily as a South African who has lived there for long. So I was like, I can still take proud that my family grew up during an apartheid and there's all this South African food that is absolutely delicious and this culture that's so diverse. We have 11 official, official languages besides and that there's more and that the issues of colonialism there is such an issue. And so I can be proud of like knowing about the history and where my family has come from and how we have dealt through these different difficulties that have, that have been in that country. But I also don't have that home-like connection to that country, if that makes sense. And so I was like, well, I should think not, because I don't really have much reason. I can go back and visit. Maybe one day I will find a purpose there, and I'll get to that line later in this pod- in, in this podcast. Um, so that I asked that question, and I, I, I'm going to say it again, because what is the philosophy of home anyway? Is it where my hat and pillow and heart lay? Because I, I I think I've heard that, I don't know if you've ever heard that metaphor before, and I probably won't be able to say it accurately, but you've heard where your hat, home is where your hat, you know what, you might, I might have misheard that, but I remember hearing a quotation of something about a hat like this is where my hat is this is where my home is um and I I know it's just a metaphor um but also um where my pillow is because I like to say to people a lot that as long as I have a pillow and a blanket I'm at home I could be sleeping on the ground on the couch on a blow-up mattress or on a bed and I would be at home because I have a pillow and I have somewhere to rest and I enjoy sleeping um or is it where the heart lay and where is your heart because is it with my parents is it with me only me is it with my friends is it with a romantic partner what is where is the heart and so <laughs> I go into my next few lines of the poem and I, I like these lines I, I I'm very proud of these lines it's like well I lost my hat in the city of the bee and my pillow traverses the world with me and my heart what does that even mean um so when I say I lost my hat in the city of the bee, I want to know what you think I meant. I meant I lost my hat in Manchester because not that long ago, a few months ago, um, me and my flatmate went to uh, Manchester to go, I don't know why we went, I think we had a gig in Manchester, and, and, and on the train journey back, which was a whole journey in itself, 
uh, because there was a storm and the trains were delayed and we had to change a couple of times because we were forced off a train. Uh, but again, I digress. I was I had a hat, a beanie that I'd literally bought a week before and I thought it looked really cool because I had recently dyed my hair green and then I got a haircut when I was in Manchester. And... And I was keeping it in my pocket because I didn't feel like wearing it on the train. But somehow through that journey, it had fallen out of my pocket and I no longer have that hat. And it was very sad. I mean, the hat was only five pounds, but still, it was like, where the heck is my hat? So I lost my hat in Manchester or somewhere in between Manchester. Uh, My pillow traverses the world with me is because I like... I take my pillow a lot of places. When I go on road trips with my parents, I have a pillow with me so that sleeping in the car is more comfortable. When I go to summer camps, I bring a pillow or a blanket with me, like a blankie, uh, so that I am comfortable and have something from home. And honestly, anytime that I travel without a pillow, I regret it so much because like, there's either not enough pillows where I'm going or my pillow is my pillow. So yeah, I take this very literally. My pillow traverses the world with me, but I also can take it metaphorically because I can find anywhere to sleep and I will sleep anywhere. Um, and that and, and that's a good thing for me. Um, and then my heart. And what does that even mean? Am I going to include my heart as something personal? Am I going to include my heart in my family? Am I going to include my heart in my chosen family? I... The philosophy of home and love seem to go hand in hand and and I don't I don't have a lot of difficulty with love but there's also you can expand it to other things like is your heart with let's say you're a religious person is your heart with God is that where your home is and that is where the home of many Christians are is like my home is with God but then you also have your physical home on your on the physical realm that we're in and and while I struggle with that relationship, it's still a, a fascinating kind of philosophy to think about. Um, and my home, if I say that my family is my home, then my home is split in so many different places. Like, obviously I've got my parents, but my parents right now, they're, they're not separated. They're just in a really complicated situation where my mom is working in... Um, in Scotland and my dad is working in the south of England and so while they're not uh uh their relationship isn't separated their physical selves are separated and that's all the way across the country and so I live with my dad or do I live with my mom and I live and I go to both places and I can consider when I stay at my mom's house home and I can consider when I stay at my dad's house home but then I also know that where my dad is living and where my mom is living are both really temporary places and so my heart is with my mom and my heart is with my dad and they are not right now together and then I also have my cousins in the middle or selfish England not as south as my dad but south England and and I love my cousins and I can say that my heart is with them and I can say that my heart is with my best friends in Northern Ireland and I can say my heart is with my new friends in Liverpool where I study at university so to me like pinning my heart in people means that I'm split across so many different places because I also have family in South Africa but that's that and and that's just a whole like another thing so what I can't really I can't really pin my heart like a donkey's tail on on a, on a panada on like I can't choose my mom to be my panada or my dad to be my home panada like my homing beacon and I so I don't actually know where my homing beacon is 
uh, fully. Uh, I, I, I always know I have a home in any of the places that I go to, uh, luckily, but it, it just doesn't feel very stable, I guess is the right word. Um, and that's why the, 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 what does that even mean? Uh, and the philosophy of home and love are strange to me because it is strange to me because I feel like as humans, we always try to seek a sort of a stability and that stability, but truly change happens all the time in life. And that's why moving for me has been good because it's allowed me to experience change on multiple different levels and be able to cope with it in different ways. Um, and, um, but I'm starting to wonder if I really did cope with change well. Um, um, uh, and so, and that's why, so that change doesn't always feel stable because you don't know how things are going to change. So as humans, we want stability, but we aren't really always gifted stability. Like that kind of is like a real like blessed point when you feel super stable uh in life emotionally physically uh family wise relationship wise it's like oh okay there's so many levels uh financial wise there's so many levels that we need to think about stability but we aren't granted that uh um all the time and we go through stages where we're more stable in this area but not stable in that area and then if in a year's, two months time, three months time, in a year's time, 20 years time, that stability has changed completely because you as a person has changed and the situation that you live in has changed. Um, and so, and so I talk about this. So my heart, I have a physical beating heart that pumps blood around my body, probably not as well as it should because I don't exercise it enough. Get that cardio in there. It's important for you. You need sensation in your toes. I'm joking. I have sensation in my toes. Do I have sensation? Besides the point, Jandre, that's besides the point. I try to love so many, including me. And for me, this is a slightly loaded sentence. It's not that loaded because... I feel like just in general, all of us, we struggled at a point of self-love and really like truly like accepting yourself for who you are and loving yourself in the way that you are in that moment. And so I always get these uh, uh, bouts of like self-loathing that attacks. Like I call it a self-loathing attack because it's like an outside uh, ominous force trying to say, oh, you're a horrible person. Don't you shouldn't like you, <laughs> get over yourself, <laughs> hate yourself, and, and, and this comes in, this comes and goes, it comes and goes, and for a long time in my life, it was almost always there, um, and so you always have this battle with, with truly loving yourself for who you are, but also taking care of yourself the way that you should, uh, in order to be healthy, uh, physically and mentally, and so I, that's why I say, it's like, I try to love so many, including me, and I do, mostly, because I've come to a point in my life where there's things I would have cared about myself personally a lot, uh, like my physical looks for main, like physically, like that used to be something I used to be super insecure about, and yes, I'm human, I'm still insecure about things about my body and the way I look, but not as much as I used to be, like, I've accepted, I am fat I am plus size and I am okay with that because 
I don't care. I just don't care. Uh, I can wear most clothes that I want to. I'm still self-conscious in some clothes, but I'm trying to battle those because I should be able to wear whatever I want in that moment in my life until I get to a point where I feel even more comfortable with my body. But I want to be able to journey to a place where I'm comfortable with my body from a place of still being comfortable in my body. Does that make sense? Um... And so, and that's just an example of how I've changed. Like, I do mostly love me, and I I recognize my talent. Like, I can draw. I don't draw fantastic things that I can sell. I don't draw realistic. I don't draw with this, like, an amazing amount of detail. I'm not very good at digital. I put myself down in, like, some ways, but also I know that I can. Like, I can draw, and I do like my art, and I know people like my art, and I'm okay, and I enjoy pinning it out there, even though it's not, like, world famous, but I don't ever want it to be world famous. I just want to do it because it's something that I enjoy, and I feel like that's a, that's a level of self-love that I have most of the time. Um, but I don't always feel at home in my own body and I can't like place my home on another person as my homing beacon. That's that's a lot of responsibility to put on somebody else. Um, and so that's why I'm like, it doesn't always feel like home to me, but it doesn't always feel like home to me. And and so that that is that is something that I don't know how to fully think about, but I wrote it. So I'm going to move on to now, like, the next portion. This podcast is going to be so long, I apologize. So, this next part, I say, let's look back. Let's look back to the five years in my own bubble. Because when I moved to Northern Ireland, and I'm talking about it from the beginning again, I was, I was a seven-year-old. I was in my own world. I hadn't... I didn't have any siblings to share my imagination with. I just had me and my parents. And when my parents were working, uh, my dad was, and and I had and I and so I had to make deal with entertaining myself as much as in any way I could. And so this was the time in my life when I honestly thought I could sing. I thought I was a singer and that was what it was meant to be. And anytime I watched a movie like Step Up, I thought I could dance. Or if I watched any kind of spy film, I thought I could be a spy. Like you just watch something and you're like, ah, I can do that. I am that talented. I'm going to be that bit. I'm going to be that person. Um, and so I say this in my own bubble, spinning and singing like the pop star I thought I was meant to be because... I was I was there with my Adele song singing about heartbreak being like I am experienced. I will never fall in love because if this is what love does to someone, I'm not going to do this and I'm going to sing about it and I'm going to teach the world like what the true meaning of not falling in love uh and heartbreak. <laughs> I basically created this world of heartbreak and but also of being um a star. And honestly, it was a great time. Um, it was a great time. It was a time when I was sleepy but content. That was like, that was that was where I could be. Like I, at times, I felt lonely. At times, I felt angry. At times, I felt um, like any kid does. Like all kids go through emotions as well. Uh, but it was still it was still a time where 
I didn't mind that I didn't have so many friends and I did have friends but not like close close friends and 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 I was and I I've always grown up very sheltered. I lived in an on a closed campus. I lived and I went to a seven day event school and then I moved here and then I lived in a small town which was and had its own like little unique bubble of area. So I I was only getting to know a small part of Northern Ireland at that time as well. Um but I it was good to me though. My mom also was very good because she put me into summer camps and uh, summer schemes at leisure centers and drama groups and and so I went to a drama group called E2A which was enabled to act which was an amazing organization at the time because it it provided a place of people for of all abilities so different learning disabilities and physical disabilities uh could come together and do something that they love to do and take part in somewhere where where in other places would have been inaccessible to them just because of their disability which shouldn't be so and so i got to be in that environment of being around people of all abilities and ethnicities and uh and uh, and sexuality and also um and grow in my own skill and love to perform like i don't perform a lot but i i do enjoy doing drama every now and then and now i write poems and i'm talking to a podcast so i must enjoy an aspect of talking <laughs> out loud to an audience of a sort <laughs> um and and i i i say the singing and spinning like a pop star i also reflect back to the time in a leisure in my summer scheme at a leisure center we were i was part of like a dance uh the dance like the week that we were focusing on dance and i would just like i stopped listening to the instructor and i went off to my own corner and started spinning my life out like i was just spinning because it was on those slippy floors and i thought i was i thought i was like moving like a break dancer kind of spinning i really wasn't but i was in my own world and i was happy to be there and even if i now look back and i realize some of those people were laughing at me not with me um it was still a good time uh, uh but i also remember saying this phrase my dad always says to me your favorite phrase is you're bored and i used to say i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored 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 and i hope you're not bored by this podcast i hope you're not saying that right now uh, i mean if you are please you, you can leave you can you ah, i'm sorry i'm i'm glad you've made it this far um i keep digressing to apologizing i'm sorry <laughs> uh but yeah no i used to say i was bored a lot and i hate saying that now i hate saying that i'm bored because because it just feels I have so much that I can do. If I'm bored, then I must do something about it. I have this mindset now. And so I don't like complaining about being bored. And so my new favorite phrase nowadays is I'm tired because I am always tired. I don't think I'm complaining. I just it's just kind of my constant state. Um and so and that's why I say if not a little bored like all of the time you see. And I think that's also on a wider stage you can look at being in your own bubble is boring because you're not experiencing the world from other people's point of view. You don't even realize that you're not experiencing a diverse world. And in a diverse world, you've got both the good and the bad. But living at least at that time and and this is no shade to Bambridge because Bambridge is a lovely town, but living there when I was younger, 
I was bored because I was in it was it was a small town it was a um uh, a small high school and that was an excellent environment to start learning in but it was also but it was also still very closed off in some ways uh and so yeah I was bored like all of the time you see mm-hmm. but this now I lived there up to the age of 12 and so now you've got this you get to your final years of primary school and then I go into my first year of high school in that town that is when my bubble was deflating because now I was growing and I was growing into I don't want to I don't want to mimonize like the feelings but often as as you you start transitioning into being a teenager your hormones increase you're you get as a uh you get your period and and you just start experiencing these physical changes you have a growth spurt you grow taller or you realize that you're never going to be tall ever again in your life even though you were the tall one in primary school oh my god i'm so short um I'm not that short. I know shorter people. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, um, so it was starting to turn into this point where I was becoming that self-conscious teenager, and I don't want to just blame it on my hormones. I feel like there was a plethora of places where it was coming from, not just my hormones, but it definitely came on that point, and I realized I started discovering more about I would sit in adult lessons and I would hear them talk about human rights issues, mainly like the LGBT community. And then I was, I didn't really know about the LGBT community when I was in primary school, but in high school, I started knowing more about it. And then I started hearing the way people in church would talk about it in their lesson studies, saying how they don't agree with gay marriage, how they, all this law is starting to come in or they're debating like, oh my goodness, the government needs to st- keep putting in that uh, vote of of concern just to make sure that gay marriage doesn't get through and this is in the northern irish uh government and i so i was hearing this like rhetoric and i wasn't understanding why people were so hateful about another group of human beings i was like at this point, I, I didn't know how to articulate it when I was uh, 11, 10, 10, 11, 12. I didn't know how to articulate it except that I felt really hurt um, that people that I considered being part of a community would would be so unwelcoming to another people who could be also part of our community. It just seemed very contradictory to a Christian message, in my opinion at that time, and still my opinion at this time. Um, And so I would, I would, it would happen on Saturdays, I would start crying for no reason. I would try to read the Bible for myself, and then I would just start crying and give up. And I would go up into the attic of the church and just cry by myself, because I didn't want everyone to see me cry and I was just I just started feeling depressed and it would manifest the most on a Sabbath day in church because I didn't know how to interact with the kids there I didn't know how to interact with the bible I didn't know how to interact with the adults and I didn't know how to interact with these new feelings and thoughts I was having and I was struggling with this idea of who God is and what was positive about Christianity and and that's when I started really questioning um 
uh, faith and that kind of thing. But I didn't know. I didn't know how to articulate this. I can see it now and it still hurts me now. Uh, and I remember actually discussing it with my parents and being like, why do they have to be so hateful? And I'd be crying. I'm not gay, but I just think that they're human and if God made them to be who they are, why did he make them with something that's supposedly a sin? How can it be a sin to love someone when Jesus and God gave us so much love? <laughs> I'm that stereotype gay who thought, oh no, I'm not gay, but I care so much. Until I realized, oh my goodness, am I a lesbian? Am I bisexual? I didn't know much about the wider spectrum of sexualities, but that's when I started discovering my sexuality. I've really expanded on this point, but to me, discovering who I am and also discovering the hate that was around me in that present moment was my bubble deflating slowly and I was starting to taste that suffocation of sadness and feeling alone and not being able to express myself properly. And this is something I feel that we have all felt in different ways throughout our whole lives. Like I felt this a lot when we moved again. I felt this a lot during my GCSEs and then I felt it when my A-levels and sometimes I still feel it now. I'm trying to combat like not let it take over but it was it's always been there and I got that taste of suffocation and it's become a common theme in my life because with my anxiety manifests itself in me not being able to breathe and it feels like I'm suffocating myself just with my thoughts and my beliefs and that kind of thing and so I talk about crying over nothing seemingly unconsciously realizing what being me was really meant to be like who am I? I didn't know who I was, but I was discovering, but I was feeling things in my unconscious. My body, like, knew that something wasn't right, and so I started crying because there was this cognitive dissonance, my favorite psychology word, with who I was and where I was. Um, and then consciously, I like, and then I would just assume what other people expected of me as a pastor's kid. You must be so well versed, get baptized, know your Bible, know this and that. I don't know my Bible. I'm not the greatest most like known like pastor's kid I'm not a representation of what it's like to be a child and be a Christian I'm I'm really 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 not but I, I was assuming what people wanted from me and I was assuming like okay I need to be quiet here uh and not talk about this and talk about that but also be as smart as I could be and, and it wasn't a bad thing but it, it, but it was a bad thing in some other ways because assuming what other people think about me is can be so unhealthy because I, I shouldn't care what other people think about me. I need to think about myself and what is best for me. But of course, I was only 12 at the time. I didn't know what to do. And so when I was 12, I made the decision. I, I think a few years ago, I would have been so happy to be baptized. Like a few years before I turned 12, I was ready to be baptized. And then... I started questioning things, but I wasn't I wasn't um, uh, wording them out loud, and so people still thought I really wanted to be baptized, but I wasn't actually ready to be baptized because I started discovering more things about my church that I was in that I don't think I could ever like reconcile my beliefs with, and so. Um, but then I still decided, okay, I will get baptized. My granny is here. I'm going to do something where she can see me and I can be with her and we can experience this life event. 
because uh, in my church you can choose it's called it's like a believer's baptism that you can choose to be baptized and dedicate your life to god and that kind of thing but i made this decision more on the society's expectation of me rather than my own expectation of me and 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 that leads us into the next line of my poem with the dunk and a splash because i literally got baptized six days um after we moved to Derry. so we moved to Derry again in july of 2013 and we were making that transition moving and my granny was with us to help us move. Uh, but I dis- but we had organized my baptism and so we actually traveled back to Bambridge, which was only two hours away from Derry. And we traveled back to Bambridge so that I could get baptized. And my dad did my baptism and it was amazing because my dad did a sermon and he used a Doctor Who reference in it. It was great. Uh, <laughs> it made me laugh. I was like, oh my goodness, you're using a Doctor Who reference in church. What are you doing? What are you doing? uh but it but I honestly it was amazing um despite my difficulty with being baptized like I wasn't ready and I did it anyway and so that was a lot of combating com combating feelings of that time and that's why I say a dunk and a splash and the next portion of six years began because right right as I get baptized I move I move cities and I move to Derry Londonderry of Northern Ireland you might know them from Dairy Girls. If you haven't watched Dairy Girls, I recommend. It's a good show. So we moved in the summer once again. Like, we moved in the summer to the UK. And then we moved to the summer in the summer from Bambridge to Derry. And this is me. I just finished my first year of high school. I just got baptized. And now I am no longer going to be in that town where I was baptized or where I had made friends. And I was going into a new high school. But I wasn't even going straight into that high school. I wasn't going straight into a social uh, uh, um, experience because it was summertime. We were on holiday. We all were on holiday. And so we move into this history that was, again, already so different from being in a small small town like Bambridge because this history the this city had so much more history heartbreaking history where I started to really learn the con- learn about the country that I was living in because living in Bambridge not only was I young between the ages of 7 and 12 I didn't know much about the discourse that Northern Ireland had been through with the troubles and the this fight between uh, unionists and nationalists, stereotypically Protestants against uh, uh, Catholics, and the second sect, second tenderlich, sectarianism that was that that had occupied this country for so long, and the especially again, not to be too critical, I'm going to be critical of the UK government in history, uh, basically occupying a place where it's not fully, fully welcome. And basically, in the 70s, uh, having an army in Northern Ireland to deal with issues, and then not taking the army out, was, I guess, one of the biggest mistakes that they could have done in Northern Ireland, because the presence of the British army was was such a negative thing and the polarization that was taking place in northern ireland during the troubles and now as well uh was it's it's heartbreaking to look at but it's also really fascinating and and an important history to learn about in the conflict one of it's i believe it's one of the most uh studied conflicts in the world and so i've moved into the city that is already 
is got a higher population and it's got a higher polarization and a richer uh so you've now you've technically got like you've got you know two sides of the story and you can see it physically in the history of being a walled city um and so i i'm only there already for like two months over the summer and i already like feel like i'm in a different in a different country um and I and and so in my poem I talk about walls that welcome everybody in because there was a lot of a lot more immigrants in Derry than there were where I was living in Bambridge, and now this is saying Northern Ireland is a small 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 country tiny 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 country, and so um, while there was quite a few immigrants the presence wasn't as like exaggerated to me as living in a more um, global city. But when we moved to Derry, we were approaching the year of, uh, they were the cultural, the culture city of the year. So they really had a lot of events going on, ex- celebrating the different communities they had, the Polish community, the Filipino community, the Chinese community, um, an African community presence in Derry. And it was a beautiful time. It really was. It was. And that's why I say that the walls that welcome everybody in. But I have to say, it also feels so adversary because because of the history that Derry has. And they literally have a river that cuts a line in Derry, in, in the city of Derry, where on the water side, that was stereotypically in history occupied by Protestant uh, uh, people. Uh, Protestant neighborhoods were majority in on the water side and catholic neighborhoods were majority in the city side and 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 still now while those numbers are becoming more di- like now there's more mixed uh religions uh of catholic and protestant as well as other religions in those two areas of the city um that you can there is still a dividing number between how many are here and how many are there and you you come to this next this this idea that there's even a protestant neighborhood in Derry. in on the there's like one protestant neighborhood that's that is mainly protestant in in the in the city center and then there's one catholic uh neighborhood on the water side and those neighborhoods are surrounded by the opposite religions um uh other neighborhoods and so and so you've got this real distinct um separation uh in a sense of and and you can really see the history because it's only been 20 years or so since the troubles it has not been long uh people are still recovering people are still in cross-community groups and we still have to encourage cross-community things because a majority of schools in in Northern Ireland are still Catholic Protestant um and then you've got integrated schools and I went to I was in Bambridge I went to a Protestant high school I was in primary school and I didn't realize I was in a school that was stereotypically Protestant and then I moved to Derry and I realized oh I have a choice and I managed to get into the 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 integrated school and one of the best experiences of my life is being an integrated education and integrated in uh, education makes up only for seven percent of schools in northern ireland and they're not going to build more schools that are integrated if integrated 
education is going to increase in Northern Ireland, schools that are already established have to make that change in their own school ethos, ethos and, uh, and who joins them in order to become integrated schools. And so I'm a big advocate for integrated education in Northern Ireland because uh, they put the emphasis on purposely making sure that schools are diversified, that the aim is to have um, a closer to 50-50 Protestant Catholic, but not just 50-50 like straight line, because then you also have uh, people of other religions in Northern Ireland, people who don't have religion, like you don't need to focus mainly on Catholic and Protestant. There's people who are who are Jewish. There are people who are Muslim. There are people who are Buddhist. And you've got people, you've just got people of all different religions. And they need a place where they feel welcome instead of in this war of sectarianism between Catholics and Protestants. And so, and, and integrated schools encourages that cross community to have conversations with people you wouldn't always agree with but have an open dialogue and an open friendship towards those people um and so i feel like integrated schools have been a good a a big help in the peace process amongst other things that uh, the country has put in for the peace process and that's why i talk about this heartbreaking history and this adversary this adversary is present in so many different ways in so many countries and so many cities but in Derry uh, Londonderry it was it was there in the name it was there in the history it was there in the way the neighborhoods are structured it's there in the schools but it's also there in the mental health of the country now Derry has heartbreakingly the highest rate of suicide um in Northern Ireland, uh, and and it and it and it, it, it it's heartbreaking. Like when we we like, I feel like when we were starting to increase our awareness around uh around mental health and breaking that stigma, it was around the time that we realized that the amount of deaths uh, by uh by suicide has reached a higher toll than the deaths that took place during the Troubles. More people have died by suicide in Northern Ireland than they did during the Troubles. And that is terrifying. Um, and, and that has really highlighted the issue all around the world, as well in, in our small country of Northern Ireland, that we need to talk about mental health a whole lot more. Because um, the higher statistics of death by suicide are in men. Because, uh, and, and this is... And, and whereas the higher statistics of uh, of people of self harming are in women, uh, and so we need to r- raise the awareness to break the stigma so that both women and men feel more comfortable, and no matter what gender you are, feel more comfortable um, approaching us uh, the world and talking about their issues and not holding it in and internalizing it so much that we lead to a point in our lives where we can't see past any choice except to to die where the fog is so thick and and so i talk about this enemy as old as time because mental health it's not a new thing uh, mental health is always there we have good mental health we have bad mental health days um uh, it's not it's not it, doesn't, it hasn't appeared out of nowhere uh it's something that has is as is part of being human, our mental health, and so bad mental health and issues with self esteem and self worth has 
has definitely uh, reared its ugly head a lot more in our research and 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 needs to because we need to talk about it. we need to actually recognize it rather than ignore it in like past generations might have uh, generations might have um so i talk about like this enemy is all this time depression anxiety anger sadness all these different manifestations of of these voices talking to us telling that us that we're not good um this this switch in mood our our body not working for us our hormones making our brains out of whack the connections not quite reaching the places that we need to be the siren in the rivers so in in Derry we have the foil and I talked about the river that literally separates the city in some ways and the foil river is one of the fastest flowing rivers in 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 the world I believe in in Europe um and the currents are really, really strong. and But that also acts as a siren because it is one of the... I don't know how to say this, but it's, it's, it is how many people who have died by suicide have died in, in Derry, London Derry. They, they have chosen... They, they, their death was, took place in that river, uh, jumping off the bridge. And, and it's heartbreaking. And so I, I just talk about this because I too have struggled with my own mental health and suicidal thoughts. And I don't talk about it much. I haven't talked about it much. Um, I've only recently started talking about it uh, to like to a therapist. Now I'm telling the world. Uh, but I think it's it's just so important because because we a lot of us have reached that point in our lives where we think about it or we've tried to act on it. Um and so I just mentioned that as a siren because it, it I've thought about it uh, living in Derry and then I've thought and then we've had to mourn so many people in Derry that we hear about who have died because of uh who have died by suicide and and so we don't just it's not even just the siren just the 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 feeling of sadness that manifests of feeling the grief that those families would have felt and so i talk again about this line of division weakened by three bridges because we have three bridges we have the old bridge the the craigavon bridge nice blue bridge double decker (laughs) um and then you've got the new bridge and that's the big old foil bridge uh and it's it's the biggest bridge and the highest bridge i believe in in Derry. And then in the middle, you've got the Peace Bridge, which is a, 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 a what's the word, a pedestrian bridge that you can walk over. Um, and it's got a beautiful shape and it was built as part of the peace process. Uh, and it's basically joining the dividing river. So you're joining the water side to to the city side in the two central places of the of those sides of the city and a really beautiful place uh, to walk over where festivals and stuff can take place um it's a nice bridge uh i enjoyed the walk um whenever i was in town uh and so i and so i i I, those bridges have their own symbolic meaning in their own in their own ways and so 
and and now I've talked about this so much. I've talked about this mental health struggle. And so I'm like, okay, you've got these three new bridges. You've got this history of conflict. And then you've got this new conflict of mental, not new, but this more uh, spoken about conflict with mental health. So um, partnering, partnering this with being a teenager. So you've got hormones, you've got friendship groups that are complicated you've got you've got um your GCSEs you've got the stress of achieving and integrating and 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 fitting in or not fitting in um and so yeah you've got the toils of being a teenager and then you start realizing oh this is what life is making decisions figuring out who you are and so Definitely for me, there was a lot of falls as most a lot of teenagers go through. A lot of they have to climb over mountains and hills, and they have falls where you fall deep into your own brain, into your own deep dark thoughts. And so, and and representing this decision to choose whether to keep going to to fight those thoughts or to give up. And 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 for me, that was always a question. It's always because I'm like I could just take the easy route in some ways, which is also a super really difficult route. Um, but now I'm here, and I'm in my covered time, and now this podcast is finally coming towards an end. You'll be glad to hear, probably another five minutes. But um, I am here. My heart's split across three places. I say this if I say if my heart is with me, and my heart is with my dad and my heart is with my mom because we are now living in three different places. My mom is up in Scotland, I'm in Liverpool and my dad's down south. And both all three of these places have only been known as home under a year. I actually spent a majority of that time alone or with my friends in Liverpool. And 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 I have I've adjusted to calling those places home rather than calling uh just dairy my home. Um and it was a very confusing time. I was like, oh my goodness, this is complicated. Because we moved to the south of England on in August of 2019. And then I knew that I was going to university of October 2019. So we made this transition of moving the whole house. And, and then I'm staring at this new house. And I'm like, I'm only going to be here for a month. I'm not even going to have time to get to know the congregation. I'm not going to have time to get to know the residents in the house that we're living in. I'm not going to get time to know the area that I'm living in. And, and so I'm like, this is home, but do I know anything about it? Not really. Um, and so that was something that was like, oh my goodness, is uh, like, what, what, my home base is going to be something that I'm unfamiliar with. Like when I leave university, I'm going to be coming back here and I'm not going to be familiar with it. And again, my philosophy of home is like, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> uh, and, and, but at the same time, it does feel like home because I am at home. I'm at home when I'm with my parents. I'm at home when I'm with myself. I'm at home when I'm with my friends. Um, and so it, combating that home, that, home is conventionally what you grew where you grew up or that home is a place that you own and home is and and home is exactly where your family is because yes home is where your family is but my family is everywhere i have family in thailand i have family in south africa i have family in the middle of england in the south of england and i have family uh chosen family in 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 northern ireland and so yeah, my home is where my family is, but they are everywhere. So I can't really pinpoint it. Again, this homing beacon that I keep talking about. Um, 
And so, and so we need to come, I think it's quite important to combat that idea of what home conventionally is because home changes for so many people in their lives people go live in in families where relationships have split up and so do they live with their mom do they live with their dad do they live with their uncle their aunt their granny their grandma uh ma ma uh grandparents uh or home for someone who may have been adopted is completely different to them do they have an adoptive family or did they grow up uh, in foster care, going from home to home to home to home. So which one for them was really home? And and who would they place their home in rather than themselves? And then you've also got homelessness, which so many people have gone through in their lives. Just being in such a place where they financially couldn't afford to stay where they're living or have been kicked out or have have entered a place where where drugs has has overtaken and so they they weren't given the opportunity to be in a safe environment and be in a house um, that they can call home and so now you're living on the street or you're living in a shelter and abuse is a big factor why people are homeless uh, in relationships of people just around them hunting them down for one reason or another so you can't blame an individual for being uh, for being homeless. Uh, there's just so many factors that affect what our conventional idea of home is. And our conventional idea of home isn't true uh, for so many people. Um, and so discussing, I guess I can go, I need to go and do this research for myself, what home is in in to people like what has been written about what home is, because home is so confusing to me as an individual and I'm only as someone who has always had somewhere to live but what about people who have struggled to find a place to live um like what does home mean to you and I talk about family as an LGBT person we talk a lot about chosen family because a lot of people in the LGBT community have been in families that don't accept them for who they are and they have been forced out of their homes they've been kicked out and they have no way of actually relying on their family that they grew up with because they don't agree with the identity that uh that 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 individual has and so and so going out into the community and this is you can I I recommend this TV show called Pose on Netflix and I think it's also on BBC iPlayer it's actually about the drag community and the trans and transgender uh uh people in history in America uh and growing up in the scene of the LGBT community and in the dra- uh, drag and trans scene um because they have these you 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 really get to see the origins of a drag family and they build up these households of kids that have been kicked out who are who are in the uh, or in a new city or needing somewhere to stay and they build up they build up this community of support where they can support each other be their own families encourage each other to go out there fight for human rights fight for a job uh fight for their right to love who they want to love and those kind of things and fight for who they need to be so it's like these real encouraging places that they needed in times of dark places when they couldn't find that in their own birth homes or lack thereof um so I do recommend Pose, that I'm slightly digressing, but to me, that covers a real beautiful history of what chosen family means to people, and how now chosen family, so many people 
no matter if you're uh, in the LGBT community or not, we have our chosen family. Our best friends are often a chosen family to us. And I've, I've found that community of mine in, in Liverpool that I can't wait to live with during university because they are family to me. My best friend is my family. Um, and so that's why I say I'll go where I want to. I'll go wherever I can. I'll go where I can go to university. I'll go where I can go for summer camps. I can go wherever uh, for any reason. I'll go with my parents whenever they move and I'll put my heart into it because that is where I am in that moment. So therefore I need to make a space to be part of that community, not make my own community. Join a community and build around it and improve it and contribute as much as I can of myself and and take uh, good things away from that community like not away like keep the things that they have but also experience the good things that they have um and so I don't want to go back to where my heart never was if I don't mean I won't go back to let's say South Africa because I will I can go back to South Africa because I'll go where my heart tent can and I'll go where my purpose will find and but I'm not going to think about places in the past that are that I didn't have that feeling. I can go back to those places and find where that feeling is, where that purpose is, where that heart is. But I'm not going to think about when I didn't have a heart in that place. Uh, uh, and for me, that's what those lines mean to me. I won't go back to where my heart never was or where my purpose never lied. But go forward where my heart can and where purpose will find. Just because I don't get it doesn't mean I'm not home. Just because I don't understand what home is doesn't mean I can't be at home. And I I, I think that's a almost a point like a self-realization, a self-discovery of myself. Because I don't understand it. I don't understand my faith as a Christian. I don't understand um, my place in a different community in uh, and that kind of thing. But it doesn't mean I'm not at home. So here is another year in a dozen and many more. Another year in this journey of life. Because this poem is basically about growing up. It's about my history. I hope you enjoyed my ramblings to myself. Because that was really long-winded. And I had so many stories about a history that you probably did not even need to know. It's just all about me, 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 me. <laughs> but I hope that you were able to take something from it, something that you can relate to or something that's something, a new concept to you or discussed in a new way. And if you feel like you have anything you want to add, a conversation that you want to have, you can email me uh, via my, my, my blog page. I said this earlier. You could text me on Instagram or on Twitter, and, and you can just, we can just, like, let's, let's share our journey together, uh, and if you did listen to this all the way through, well, thank you, thank you for staying, I am honored that you're still here, um, so let's get into that outro. Once again, I want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You've been listening to me ramble to myself for an hour or two, and I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share with your friends and family on social media or word of mouth, as that is the best way to share podcasting love. And check me out on my social media, Twitter, Instagram, and WordPress at My Lifeline Rose for more poems, writings, and articles that are interesting to me. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Jean Dre. My hat was stolen by the bees of Manchester. Who else can say that? <laughs>